It is my uh, joy to introduce uh, Ben Moss, who's going to be our new college pastor starting in July. Give it up for Ben. Okay. And uh, I just want to say a couple of quick words about, about Ben, because we, don't, we believe that God has led Ben to be a part of, of Christ's fellowship. He has been a, the last, he did an undergrad and a master's degree at Baylor, finishing that up in Spanish, and um, just recently got accepted into the Ph.D. program at TCU, going to be able to live on campus and be a college pastor at TCU. This is a big, gigantic deal. And uh, while Ben was down in Waco the last couple of years, he's been a section leader down there living with Jimmy and Laura Seibert, the pastor, and uh, let's see, a section leader oversees about 60 to 70 college students down there, so he's really been being equipped to step into this role, and uh, so we're super excited. We've got some, I'll let you say something about cool family members, but part of the thing with, with Ben, when I heard the story that his great-great-uncles Addison and Randolph Clark started TCU, I just thought, man, that is like really the opportunity for like praying their heritage in through this brother and affecting the school is like awesome. And the school and the, the city, you know, change the fort, you change the world. I think I may hold on to that. Like maybe a shirt or something. Change the fort, change the world. Let's do it, right? Y'all give it up for Ben Moss. Well, good morning, Christ Fellowship, and awesome, wow, that was good. Uh, I'm so excited to be here, and it is awesome to be able to say Christ Fellowship family. That really is what I have felt as I have uh, been on this journey of deciding where I'm going to come in the next year, Uh, and here I am, uh, right here in the good old Fort Worth. Uh, I had an amazing opportunity a couple weeks ago to go on a spring break mission trip to Edinburgh, Texas. Yeah, come on. Got some students right here. Come on. Uh, the expression in Graydon's face pretty much says the uh, experience that we had. We had a blast. And there was 450 of us that uh, descended on one city in particular. And I just want to say uh, that of the 450 college students that were there, the seven TCU students that went were the most bold out of anybody. Come on, let's give them a hand. They shared the gospel boldly, and they prayed for people boldly, and it was so encouraging to see uh, the way that these guys are living their lives. Uh, And I do want to just say a special thanks this morning uh, to Jamie and Kim uh, Miller and uh, the Albright family, the Natalie family, the different elders here at the church. Uh, This last year, the journey that I've been on uh, has been a miraculous one. And as Jamie shared earlier, uh, my great-great-uncles Addison and Randolph Clark founded uh, Texas Christian, that's right, Christian University. Uh, and a couple months ago, my grandmother, uh, who's actually uh, here this morning, so I want to honor her. Let's give Grandma a hand. Come on. Uh, my grandmother gave me a book that is copyright 1891. And it is written by my great-great-grandfather, Franklin Benjamin Clark, uh, who actually was the brother of this family. And the title of this book is Alone with God. 
And it is filled with prayers and blessings that he was praying specifically for the people that were around him. And as I opened up this book, I felt like God spoke to me so gently and said, Ben, I want you to go back to TCU and to Fort Worth to be a part of redeeming your family's heritage there. And I felt like he said, not only that, but you have an inheritance in that city. So I am so excited, so blessed, so privileged, so honored uh, to be with you guys. I believe so much for TCU and for the other campuses in Fort Worth. But even more than that, I believe that Christ Fellowship is going to continue to be an amazing place where people are equipped to make disciples and make disciples in the nations of the earth. Amen? Amen. Come on. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like for you to open up to Luke 19. I love the Bible, believe that the Bible is uh, God's direct word to us, that it never changes, it is constant, and we can depend on it always. And I know you guys have been uh, in a series talking about power from on high. We're going to do a little victory lap here on the series for power from on high. Uh, And I'm going to talk about one of my favorite biblical characters this morning. And his name is Zacchaeus. And I love Zacchaeus. Who would have thought that 2,000 years later, we'd be talking about the little bitty guy uh, named Zacchaeus. Uh, But he has an inheritance, actually, in all of our lives. And I hope that you see that this morning. The context of what's going on here in Luke 19 is this. Jesus is on his way from the other side of the Jordan to the Bethany near Jerusalem. And he's moving quickly in order to be there about eight or ten days before the Passover. He's proceeding into Jericho and his visit has attracted a large crowd. He had the intention to preach and to work miracles in the city and he wasn't, any, he wasn't afraid any longer because his ministry was continuing forward at the appointed time. So we're going to pick up here in verse 1 of Luke 19. It says this. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, I thank you this morning that you have come to seek and to save the lost. That every single person that is in this room, that you are calling our name this morning... And that you have restoration, wholeness, and healing for us. Jesus, I pray we would fix our eyes on you, that you would get me out of the way, and that your will would be done. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. well I want to make four points with you this morning of why I believe that uh, Zacchaeus' life matters, and specifically what it can teach us about power from on high, and experiencing that power from on high. The first point is this. 
Power from on high comes from knowing that Jesus is the initiator of all things. Jesus takes the initiative. He calls for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. There's an urgency in his voice. I love that another translation actually says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. Jesus has never seen him before, yet he calls his name and he knows exactly where he lives. So I want you to imagine it. There's a large crowd. There's hundreds, maybe even thousands of people gathered around. And out of the whole crowd, Jesus calls one person's name. He calls out to Zacchaeus. I remember when I was five years old, I played on one of the greatest wreck soccer teams of all time. We were called the Dolphins. I didn't pick the name. But the Dolphins had a little bit of an issue, and that was that about half of the team, when they would go into the game, they liked to sit crisscross applesauce on the field and just pick the flowers and pick the insects. And I thought, that is not me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have vision for this. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to be the best goal scorer on the team. Uh, so I remember uh, specifically thinking pretty highly of myself. I thought, man, I'm, I'm really cool. And, uh, but there was somebody cooler that was actually on the field, and that was my dad. You see, because my dad would stand on the sideline, and when I would get the ball, he would say, Ben, pass to the left. I'd pass to the left. He'd say, Ben, pass to the right. And I'd pass to the right. Then we'd come up by the goal and he'd say, Ben, now shoot. And I'd shoot and score the goal every time. Not every time, but I'd like to say I would. And I remember this one specific time uh, that it was uh, a tie game, two to two, and there's one minute left in the game. This was to go to the National Youth Championship. I made that up, by the way. Uh, but this was a big deal to me. And the guy crossed the ball in and I got it right in front of me. Uh, and there was three defenders that were coming right after me. And I remember my dad from the sideline screaming, Ben, shoot! And I pulled the trigger, upper 90. Uh, it wasn't upper 90, it was on the ground, but I scored the goal, my team won, and I was like, yes, I did it! I'm the hero! Well, I wasn't actually the hero. Dad was the hero. Dad was the hero because I didn't really know what to do, but he was calling my name. He was giving me specific instructions about what I needed to do and how I needed to respond. There is power when our dad calls our name. This morning, Jesus is calling your name. Amen? Come on. Second point. I love that... Actually, not second point. I love uh, specifically um, that Zacchaeus' life uh, is one that we can all relate to. And I'm going to give you a couple reasons why I think Zacchaeus would have been the last pick uh, specifically for Jesus to come to his home. A couple of those reasons. Zacchaeus was one of the principal tax collectors in the city. In fact, he was the head tax collector. It's the only mention of this phrase, chief tax collector, in the whole Bible. Secondly, Zacchaeus was rich. The region at this time was very prosperous, difficult for the rich to inherit... It was difficult for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. We see that all throughout the scriptures. He had heaped up an abundance of wealth by his gainful employment. And finally, Zacchaeus had a sinful past. The people in the crowd declare, he is gone to be in the guest of a man who is a sinner. It's obvious that beforehand, Zacchaeus had a sinful past. There were things that he had done in his life that caused him to be separated from God. I grew up in Carrollton, Texas. How many of you know Carrollton, Texas? 
oh, come on. That's the nice thing about being in the DFW area. Everybody knows Carrollton. Uh, and I loved it. It was a great place to grow up. My parents put me in church at a young age, and I'm so thankful for that. But there was a particular experience that I had in middle school where a, a guy school teacher said some inappropriate things to me, and it really created some confusion of who I was as a man and then what it meant to really be a man. And I remember there was this space inside of my heart just feeling so empty and so alone. And I would, in middle school, I tried to wear the right clothes and hang out the, with the right crowd and, uh, and make fun of other people all to make myself feel better. It wasn't working. In high school, I thought, man, if I just get myself uh, involved in as many events as I can possibly be involved in, then I'll feel better. Played on the varsity golf team, sang in the varsity choir, did theater. And parents would come up to me my senior year in high school, and they'd say, Ben, could your life be any more perfect? And I would look back, and I would think, man, if you only knew what was going on in the inside of me, you wouldn't think that at all. Entered Baylor my freshman year, and at that time, the depression had grown so much that I ended up kind of deciding, man, I don't know if life's really worth it anymore. And I remember standing in Subway on Baylor's campus, and I was standing next to a guy, and that very morning, this guy had prayed and said, God, would you give me one person to give my life to this year? And I said something to him twice, and he said, if this guy says something to me a third time, I know, God, that that's the person you're highlighting to me. I did, and he invited me to have dinner with him. To a total stranger, for the next hour, I just began to pour out my heart and say, every place I was broken, every place I was confused, every place I didn't understand, I felt like the last pick. That guy, his name was Rocky Lowe, he invited me to go to life group that week, and I remember a guy coming up to me during worship and saying, I have a word for you. God wants you to know that he sees your pain, and more than that, he knows your name. And I remember walking in my dorm room uh, at, at Baylor and uh, that same Saturday I remember dropping down on my knees and for hour after hour after hour just crying out to God and saying, God, if you're real, I need you to show up. God, if you're real, I need you to come and meet me. And I remember God speaking to me and saying, Ben, not only do I want to meet you, but I have an amazing plan and purpose for your life. And I ended up having the opportunity to go to India on a mission trip, short-term impact trip. You guys take those trips where you take a group of people, you go share the gospel and see Jesus do amazing things in the nations. I had never shared the gospel before. And I remember three days in the trip, I had the opportunity to meet a little three-year-old kid. And I loved this kid. I still remember the day he uh, was closing his eyes and uh, he, I said, what do you see, buddy? And he said, I see Jesus. And I see, oh, that's awesome. He said, what's he saying to you? He opens his eyes, tears streaming down his face. He says, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. This kid ended up giving his life to Jesus, and I gave him a Bible. He took that Bible, and he went and showed his mom. Well, his mom was one of the most uh, practicing Buddhist women, actually, in the city. She got upset. She called the cops. And uh, as I'm walking down the street with Rocky, a police car drives up, and the police come out, and Rocky says, Run, Ben! (laughs) I I said, Huh? No, I didn't. So I run, and start running away. The police say, Get back here! I said, Okay, ran. Ran back. They put us... (laughs) 
they, they put us in the police car. They drive us an hour across the city. They don't give us any explanation. And they put us in this back room with all these Indian jailers. And at 18 years old, I realized for the first time in my life, I'm not in control anymore. And I remember specifically uh, in that moment, one, two, three, four hours go by and nothing's happening. Rocky leans over at me and uh, he says, Ben, we need to pray. We don't know if we're going to get out of here because it's getting dark. And in that moment specifically, I remember something happened to me that changed my life forever. In those 15 minutes, God came to me and he said, Ben, I want you to know that today you will know that I am your defender, that I am your protector, and more than that, I'm your dad. And when that happened, I remember all of those places that I felt like the last pick, broken, not enough, worthless, that I could never get to God. God redeemed it and he says, no, you're my first pick. You're my honored son. I love you. You're valued. You're special. You are the one that I want. Fifteen minutes later, the head general of the facility walks in and he says, you're free to go. Didn't give us an explanation. As I'm walking out of that jail, I remember thinking, God, I don't care what it takes, but I want to give my life to you and your purposes in the earth. I believe that for everybody in this room, God is initiating with you. And he's saying, you're not the last pick. You're not the one that's on the outside looking in. You are absolutely his first choice. Amen? Amen. Second point, power from on high comes from getting in the right position. Verses 3 and 4 says this, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So Zacchaeus can't see Jesus because he's too short, both physically, some would say actually morally as well. And the crowds are impeding his sight. But he's so desperate to see Jesus that he won't be deterred and he climbs up on a 40-foot tree. And I believe, guys, that in this moment, Zacchaeus had two things. One, he had a holy hunger in his mind. In other words, he had knowledge of who Jesus was. He understood the reputation of Christ for doing amazing things. Just before this chapter in the Bible, a blind beggar receives his sight Little children inherit the kingdom of God. A persistent widow is granted justice against her adversary. And Jesus heals a man with leprosy. You see, he had the knowledge up here. He knew who Jesus was. And so that was part of the reason that he wanted to get up in the tree. He wanted to see the miracle worker. I talked uh, just a moment ago of how I grew up in the church just want to say, I loved growing up in the church. I'm so thankful that my parents put me in the church. I think it's so important that we grow up with those values. But I had the knowledge here. I had the knowledge in my mind. And I remember, uh, actually, any Boy Scouts in the room? Any Boy Scouts? Like two. Oh, three. Oh, yeah, somebody. Yeah, there we go. Okay, awesome. Uh, my grandpa. Love you, grandpa. Boy Scouts. Whew. Love Boy Scouts. Uh, but I remember I got one of the most prestigious awards in Boy Scouts, which was uh, the God and Country Award. And I had to memorize all of these books of the Bible and all of these scriptures. 
And I remember recounting the Bible stories over and over and over again. And I had the knowledge up here. I knew who Jesus was here. But I was yet to have a holy desperation down here. My junior year in college, that changed. I went to Mongolia, got to be a part of seeing a brand new young people's church planted. It was amazing. One of the most incredible things that I've been a part of. I will share that story in the months and years to come when we're together. But one of the things that we did on our outreaches is we would pull in as many guys as we could, specifically young business professionals, and we would have basketball nights, and they were a blast. I remember they were every Wednesday night, and wasn't very good at basketball, but I believed in the church, and I believed in these guys. Uh, but uh, I remember one day, uh, one evening, I, I went up for a rebound to grab the basketball, and as I came down, my leg shifted left, right, and back to the left. And when it came back to the left, my kneecap stayed out. I knew right away I dislocated my patella, which is the bone on top of your knee there, and my knee looked like a snake like this. All the people huddled around. They said, Ben, are you okay? I said, Nope, I'm not okay. (laughs) And I remember just this pain starting in my thigh and just shooting down my leg. They load me up, they put me in a car, and just want to say, Mongolia probably has the worst roads in the world. (laughs) The amount of potholes we went over on the way to the first hospital were numerous. Pull up to the first hospital where they open the doors and cigarette smoke comes pouring out. The smell of alcohol comes pouring out. Didn't really have much translation, but ended up figuring out with some guys. I said to the driver, I said, hey, is there anywhere else we can go? You know, like, is there another option? Uh, he said, yes, but it's an hour away. So I smiled. I said, okay. Across the city, my knees going like this. We pull up to the international clinic and they put me on a stretcher. They take me in and they leave me in a long hallway. And the doctor and his, uh, the assistants, they go back into the waiting room to talk with the pastor and his wife. And as I'm sitting there, I'm recounting the biblical stories of who Jesus was and what he did to other people. You remember, I knew those stories. I grew up with them. I knew that Jesus would speak one word and someone would heal, be healed. Or Jesus would just touch somebody and they would be healed. But I had never personally had that holy desperation here and experienced that. And as I'm sitting there on the stretcher, I remember this light coming from the end of the hallway and coming up and stopping beside my bed. And I remember just seeing two golden hands on the railing of my bed. And immediately I heard the words, Benjamin, I love you. And as soon as I heard those words, my knee popped. And I thought, boy, I've injured it more. Something's happened. And as I began to take off the sheets and take off all the bandages that was around my knee, I looked down and my kneecap had completely shifted back into its proper position. No bruising, no swelling, no sign. Amen? Come on. The doctor and his wife, the doctor comes in, the pastor and his wife, the uh, doctor and his wife, his wife on there, they come back in and um, I just start weeping. I am just so overcome by God's goodness, His grace, His love, His mercy. We share the gospel with them and 
I go in the next morning to get a checkup from the head doctor in the facility. And he says, son, tell me again what happened last night. And I said, well, I dislocated my patella. He said, I have something to tell you. We don't have the medical ability in this entire country to do the surgery, the emergency surgery that would have been required for you to have if that was the injury. He said, you probably would have lost function in that leg. God is so good. And He is absolutely in the business of taking our holy hunger up here and moving it to a holy desperation down here. I believe so much, guys, that when we're in a position of dependency, of brokenness before God, that that is where He shows up. He gets to be glorified in our weakness. Isn't that good? Amen. Amen. Third point, power from on high comes from getting in the right position. Oh, sorry. Power from on high requires a response. The message of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross should require us to respond in some significant way. I love this scripture from Psalm 51.7. It says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God you will not despise. Zacchaeus takes very specific actions. He, he does a very specific response to show that his heart has changed. First, he's generous. He gives half of his assets to those who are in need. In addition, anyone who is robbed will be paid back fourfold. The normal restitution in Roman times was about 20%. But here Zacchaeus goes over and beyond to show that his heart has been changed. Secondly, I believe that Zacchaeus had faith. And specifically, he had faith in someone else. His someone else was Jesus. He did not expect to be justified only by his works as the Pharisees did. But by those works, he purposed through the grace of God to show the sincerity of his faith and his repentance. Twelve years old, I had the opportunity to go to Honduras, and that's Honduras in English, uh, just so you know. Uh, I love Spanish, by the way. Finished up my finishing up my master's degree in Spanish at Baylor, and would love to speak Spanish with all of you. I won't finish the message in Spanish; I'll continue in English. Uh, but Spanish is awesome, and that's really where my love for the Spanish language and the Spanish culture was developed. And I remember uh, my mom and I actually got to go four summers in a row. Uh, and we worked with a particular orphanage that was considered a drop-off home. And what that meant is uh, parents could either not afford their children or they didn't want them anymore. And they would literally drive by, leave them at the curb, and drop them off. And mom and I had the opportunity to work at this orf- orphanage. And we met a young man in particular whose name was Esteen. And Esteen was just like any other 10-year-old kid. He loved to play soccer. He was really involved in church, and he was really involved in the community and um, at school. And I remember that first year developing a really awesome friendship with Esteen. And at the end of that trip, I remember God just pressing on my heart and saying, Ben, I want you to have faith for Esteen's life. I want you to believe the best for him. And specifically, I want you to have faith that he's going to become a mighty man of God. Over the next four years, I developed an amazing friendship with Esteen. I would actually call him more like a brother. 
and he actually came to spend a winter with my family uh, in Carrollton. He went up to Illinois, saw snow for the first time. That was funny. Um, and, uh, but when we got done with the trip, he went back to the orphanage in Honduras. And the first thing that he did, he went directly to the directors and he said, I've seen what a family is like. I want to meet my own. They do some research and they find out his dad's still in jail, but his mom and his grandmother are in the city. He moves in with them. It's a miracle story. In April of the same year, I receive a phone call from the director of these trips I had been on. And he says, Ben, I have some sad news for you. I said, what? He said, well, Estine has been shot and killed. He was watching a soccer game uh, outside and a man drove by and opened fire on the crowd and killed six kids. Estine was one of them. And I remember feeling so hurt and lost and confused. And then this leader said this to me. He says, but Ben, you have to know something. When Estine was in the ambulance on his way to Tegucigalpa, which is the capital city, to get treatment for his wounds, his mom was standing right next to him, and his mom didn't know Jesus. And he said, Estine looked up at his mom and said, Mom, don't worry, because today I'm going to be with my brother Jesus in heaven. He breathes his last breath and he dies. Through that story, his mom comes to know Jesus, his grandmother comes to know Jesus, and there begins to be this ripple effect all throughout the city of Estine's story and the way that he lives his life. Stories start to come in from, uh, from different schools and from the community and the restaurants and the orphanage, and they start telling about this incredible man of God and the way that he lived his life. And I remember as I was hanging up the phone, God so gently taking me back to four years ago when he said, Ben, will you have faith for Estine's life? And I felt like God said, not only did you have faith, Ben, but you had a part of his last words. God has faith for you this morning. Whether it's personally that you're believing God for a breakthrough or you're believing God to do something amazing in someone else, there is plenty of faith for you. Amen? Last point. Power from on high has come to your home. Jesus sides with the one that is on the margin, the one that's considered down and out by society. Zacchaeus is despised by his neighbors, counted as nothing, worse than nothing. Yet Jesus singles him out. Singles him out. One of my favorite scriptures, Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. By seeing Him, calling Him, staying with Him, and blessing Him, Jesus declares for all to hear that this one, even this chief tax collector, is a child of Abraham. And more than that, a child of God. Jesus is always in the business of seeking out those who are lost in order to find, save, and restore them. Jesus has come to your home today.